and ultimately through my years working with swimming, um, it always comes down to fundamentals. What are they fundamentally doing correctly? Um, and that needs to be in place first. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to episode 138 of the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is Ryan Hodion, who is the biomechanist for uh, the for NSWIS, which is the New South Wales Institute of Sport. And the, the, the title for this episode is High-Level Biomechanics for Weekend Warriors. So, Ryan, you work with a very high level of, of swimmer. And what I want to chat today about is everything that, that you do with, with those top-level guys, but how people who are maybe training for triathlon or swimming, they might be swimming two or three times a week, how can they apply some of this stuff that, that you work on to their own swimming? So, first of all, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining me. Yeah, great. Cheers. Thanks for having me on. And the way that we got introduced was uh, we're both advisors for uh, a company called Sensaria, which are developing a pretty cool uh, sort of power, not power meter, but uh, a, a device that measures the, the force and the direction of the force uh, for swimmers. And uh, so that's how we, we got introduced. And we've both had the chance to, to test that stuff out. And there's some pretty yep. cool stuff that's, that's coming out of that. And uh, what were your thoughts on the, on the device and how do you see it being used? Yeah, well, um, I obviously showed a lot of interest in the device um, to start off with. And I know there are um, means of obviously extrapolating similar types of information um, from other devices. But this device just seemed to kind of hit home to me because they had obviously spent a heap of time um, through a phase of R&D um, to produce something out the back end that would make a difference to swimming. Um, so just looking at it in the way they're actually displaying a lot of the information or the output that was, you know, coming from the actual pressure sensors on the hand, um, it just made sense to me. Um, so yeah, we show keen interest in that, obviously trying to push it more to not necessarily just, um, routine use like a heart rate monitor, but ultimately trying to, you know, jazz up the device that it's actually going to give us more worth or, or more direct, um, output of um, force um, during swimming as well. And how have you seen your job change over time with the use of technology? And because obviously there's so much data that we can get these days and how do you, how do you simplify it to make it useful and to be able to obviously communicate that as well to the swimmers and the coaches? Yeah, great question. Um, And yeah, that's something we always um, kind of grapple with on a daily basis from our end um, because there is just so much out there. And in our day and age, obviously, we're at the mercy of all the technology that comes out. Um, and often there is so much. I mean, if you could almost relate it back to the types of apps that you have on your device, um, everything sounds great um, until you download the thing and then you find it's actually worthless um, or that there might be potentially a better one out there. Um, but we, you end up downloading all these things and trying to work it out from there. And that's ultimately what we do with a lot of the stuff that comes out, um, in particular to obviously the discipline we're in, biomechanics, um, in the different fields of analysis we do there, and in this case, I mean, more pertinent to swimming. Um, there are a lot of stuff, a lot of devices that come out um, that, you know, especially, um, you know, equipment, um, paddles, um, fins, kickboards, all that type of thing, you know, the change and people seem to think that they're going to reinvent swimming. Um, so we technically become, you know, the gatekeepers of those things and really need to look into it, um, you know, in greater depth to understand actually what, what that device is um, 
value that device is going to potentially add um, or whether it just is um, a gimmick and we don't need to look in that direction at all. Um, so that's ultimately what we're doing almost on a, on a daily basis. Um, we're also looking for kind of new and um, great ideas out there and hence the reason we kind of look towards and sorry to say, okay, well, that, that definitely is something we could make better use of down the track um, once we start understanding the outputs that they are delivering. Um, and, you know, we we obviously go through a whole process of validation as well to ultimately make sure that whatever those devices are putting out um, is valid and accurate um, and replicable over periods of time. Um, and that's ultimately what we do because um, at our level, I mean, yeah, if, if things are changing and shifting from one day to the next, um, we lose that trust. And that trust relationship with coach and athlete at the highest level is crucial um, to obviously the impact we have as scientists and um, to the relationship and overall performance um, at the end of the day too. Mm. And what do you what do you do to uh, how how do you prefer to communicate with the with the swimmer and the coach? You're working with them together, and are you um, are you using video? Or is it just through um, just through constant communication, like seeing them on a daily basis? What's how does that typically look for you? Yeah, so um, at the highest level, uh, generally a lot of my interaction with programs or with different squads or athletes and coaches um, is scheduled in um, up front. Um, so it's not very ad hoc at all. It's it's definitely planned into the schedule. Um, so it would be the rest of the service providers um, in a team, in a high-performance team, which include the physiologists and nutritionists, um, you know, strength conditioning, um, physiotherapy, all of that type of stuff. All of them are included in a in a plan right at the beginning of the season, and obviously, you know, interaction with us ebbs and flows over a period of time. And from one athlete to the next, they have different interactions with different specialists at different times as well. And that's all kind of guided or led by the coach, I would say, um, and all specifically around that particular athlete. Um, and then, you know, as time progresses, we obviously ensure that we're progressing in the right direction. Um, and through a lot of the stuff that we do, if we're adjusting technique, I mean, you'd know very well in this regard. If you're adjusting technique, quite often um, you you expect um, regression to start off with. So people potentially get slower or feel a little more awkward in the pool and just doesn't feel quite right. But um, through persistence, we hope to take, um, you know, those two steps forward um, following that one step back. So that's ultimately what we're trying to do over a period of time. Um, and then if we look at um, some of the high performance programs that I'm dealing with, um, ultimately um, my interaction um, is through the coach and he directs obviously the service I provide. Um, but when it, when it gets to, you know, the, the nitty gritty and right at the, at the crux, um, you know, my involvement with the athlete and that connection is very, very close. Um, and I ultimately need to understand what they're trying to do and how they feel or think about whatever they're trying to do. Um, and refine that in a way that is going to make them better. Um, and this is really looking for marginal gains, and that's where that trust comes in again, as I mentioned earlier on, um, because now we're talking about things that are very groundbreaking. It's things that are potentially haven't been seen before and all that type of thing. And if we go back a few steps and consider age group development swimming or your average Joe um, just trying to get better, um, often you can take quite a blanket approach on things and conform to a certain norm. Um, but at our level, dealing at the highest level, um, the best are always doing something different. Um, and we're trying to obviously make better use of that difference to to get more out of them. 
And is there something that comes to mind when you think of uh, something that's that's groundbreaking? Is there something over the last couple of years that you may have thought differently about in the past, and you've you've looked at it and and studied it further and gone, oh, actually, this is this is how it is. Yeah, for sure. Um, a kind, well, yeah, probably a few things I can think of. Um, but um, over a period of time, um, my biggest realization, and you find it quite strange. I mean, I deal with technology at very different levels, um, and you know, we have you know state-of-the-art um, devices that we use. Um, you know, measuring um, outgoing velocity, um, measuring um, you know you know acceleration in different directions um, on um, the summer um, wearing like I'm used. Um, yeah, we just, there is just so much information we can um, get from athletes and all of that. Um, we also use um, like kind of 2D, 2D motion capture um, where we actually calibrate to certain space and can actually give you an indication as to, you know, um, kick frequencies, kick amplitudes and underwater kicks, um, different metrics and stroke too. Um, and we could look at all of that um, in massive depth um, but in the end of the day, it's how you interpret that information that's key. Um, and I find a really happy space with dealing with information and sharing the information that I feel is going to mo- make the most impact to athlete and coach. And that's probably the space I kind of um, like dealing in. Um, and ultimately, through my years working with swimming, um, it always comes down to fundamentals. What are they fundamentally doing correctly? Um, and that needs to be in place first. And I mean, obviously, the audience, um, from your view, I think, um, you know, it's it's quite easy to kind of get caught up in what everyone else is doing. And the guy in the lane next to you might be doing something that you think might better suit you or it just looks great because he's swimming five minutes quicker over his, you know, his um, initial swim in a triathlon that you must be doing what he's doing. But ultimately, we just need to go back to consider what we're doing well first, what got us there in the first place, and then ensure that we have all those fundamentals in place um, that we can build off of those to obviously get better or more out of what we're trying to do in the end of the day. Yeah, that's that's something that I've come to learn over the last 12 years of coaching is it's there's so many different ways to do every single stroke. And yep. so you, you want to work with the strengths of each swimmer and, and work with... Uh, all the things that they've got, and, you know, different heights, different wingspans, um, just different um, different strengths within their stroke, and uh, yeah. and tailoring it that way. And it's and like similar to you, I've, we work with a lot of different swimmers, and just seeing that wide range of um, that wide range of of styles, and then there's so much uh, there's so much sort of knowledge there, or so much data, I guess, to to interpret, and then to be able to interpret that and give them the um, the advice that you think would be best for that swimmer based on what you've yep. seen in the past. Um, that yep. I Do you find that sort of like the art of, of what you do? Oh, no, definitely. Um, so, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, and that ultimately is what it comes down to. So, we, we're scientists and we think in a very scientific way and we love information. We love, um, you know, very complex graphs and very complex information um, but ultimately, that makes no sense to the athlete, right? If you tell him to move um, his arm or his leg at two degrees difference, then it's going to make that impact. Um, he's going to look at you with a frown on his face. Um, well, some some swimmers, mind you, probably go to that extent and want that level of detail. Um, but ultimately, they're not wanting you to be that specific. 
they're wanting you to give more of an overarching idea as to what they need to do better and how they could potentially do it and what the potential outcome is going to be as well. So in that, we often deal with heaps of information and sometimes that information, you know, is going to prove to us that what they're doing is is totally incorrect and they need to change drastically or ultimately it proves to us that um, what they're doing is incredibly good and we can just refine whatever they're doing there. Um, and that's how ultimately we look at um, a lot of the information we um, we gather over a period of time. And we need to align with the coach and the coach obviously has his certain concepts and ideas and philosophies that he sticks to. And, you know, down the track, he gets different athletes through his hands um, and, you know, his his ways and means of dealing with athletes or um, successes he's had in the past is probably what he's going to tend toward. Um, but having different athletes through is going to force that coach to actually think in a slightly different manner. And if we produce similar information to that coach um, over a period of time, um, we either prove to him that what he's doing is probably right or we try and prove to him in a way that obviously what he, what he needs to be doing should be something slightly different to get a different outcome of that athlete. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, uh, in, ter- in terms of uh, getting them to, to make those changes, one of the things that, that I've found has, has worked well over the past few years with swimmers is ex- explaining, similar to what you mentioned, explaining this is how it, it might feel when you make the change. Yeah. This is what you'll mm-hmm. probably need to expect and it's that discomfort, it's that awkwardness and possible regression as well. And, uh, and explaining those two things has made a, a big difference, uh, especially compared to just telling them what they need to do. Because if they're not expecting that it's, if they're expecting to get faster straight away, or if they're expecting it just to feel fine, then they're not going to actually make that change because they they want to steer away from that discomfort because they think it's wrong. And just the communication and framing it up front, um, for me at least with the athletes I've worked with, I've I've seen that that make a big difference. So I try to be very clear upfront every time I'm working with a new swimmer that this is what to expect and this is how it it may feel and um and you know even at that sort of top level is that something that you've had to make very clear with them yes it is uh, and often i mean dealing in in a fluid environment i mean the water the human being is not necessarily made to be in that space for, you know the durations of time that the top level athletes spend in the water um and ultimately regard your elite level swimmer as amphibious but still looking very human um so it almost doesn't make sense to move the human body through a body of water as quickly as possible. It is almost, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. Um, but ultimately, we do that quite well. And, um, you know, charging on, I mean, we're seeing world records being broken now. And level of swimming performance has just lifted in recent years, I would say. Um, and we do incredibly well as non-kind of non-water beings moving through the water really fast. But in saying that, it's also a very unnatural environment to be in. So sometimes just doing something slightly different will come up with a very different outcome. Um, and that's often where I try and explore different um, ranges on a continuum. And I'm a big fan of, you know, shifting or exploring kind of that continuum from, you know, the, the polar opposites or, um, you know, varying extremes. So um, I was watching the video of you, um, you know, having improved your technique, um, you know, in the past year or something, and you were saying that you were looking at, um, you know, just improving the, the crossover at the front end of your stroke, both left and right. 
Um, and that's quite a common thing and probably one of the, the go-tos or fundamental things that you need to not do in freestyle is cross the midline um, on entry. And watching you do that, ultimately my approach would then be to say to you, okay, well, try and you know reach out as far as you possibly can, way out of shoulder width, and try and almost touch the side of the pool and enter there. So I shift you to that next extreme, and you might even, just by thinking in the extreme, you would probably go to where it's more central. As opposed to going out to touch the side of the pool, you probably are going to go a little bit more central because your extreme or your average or middle ground on the continuum is that skewed to crossing the midline. It's something that drastic would probably find a better middle ground than the actual extreme. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That and that's um, and that's something which I try and do with swimmers is. Uh, if they're do- let's, let's say like because my crossover there like it was a bit of a crossover but much yeah. much less than I've seen with a lot of the guys who have come through our clinics like you know re- yeah. some really big crossovers and so for some like for me to actually get on those you know in line with the shoulder it, it still had mm-hmm. to feel really wide and it still had to feel really wide so for someone who's <laughs> way across the center for them it's going mm-hmm. to have to feel like they're yeah, they're not even anywhere close to the center. And uh, and by having it as like a, this is the time to experiment. This is the time. If you overcorrect, they like, that's fine. We can always come yeah. back to, you know, come back into where you were, but um, encouraging them to really overdo the, the thing that they're trying to do. Um, I, yeah. I love that as a way to help people uh, at least start to make that change or get a sense of um, where they are. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that whole level of implicit learning there and creating awareness for themselves is where it's all at in that regard. And, you know, people feel um, water in a very different way. And swimming is a very kinesthetic sport. And obviously, you have your visual learners, you have your audio learners, you've got, you know, different, various different levels of, of um, learning. Um, but I find the visual always um, brings home um, what you're trying to get at. Um, although it's awkward and that type of thing, just seeing that the hand is potentially, you know, passing in more of a correct line, people start readjusting their own awareness or, you know, sensory perception in their head as mm-hmm. to what is correct. So you almost fast track that whole process with a visual, I feel. Yeah, that's good. I, lo- I like to try and do basically what you're talking about, contrast drills where you, uh, to get them to develop that awareness is you get them to go extreme in one way and extreme in the other way Mm -hmm. and then obviously that that middle ground is probably where they they want to be but just um yeah that's a great way for developing that that awareness and i was talking to a um a friend of mine who's a a physio and i was i was telling him how oh he he was actually talking about a swimmer who he's a long distance swimmer uh came to him with some shoulder issues and he this he um was just talking to him about right where, how why is his shoulder hurting and there's a lot of reasons why his shoulder could be hurting uh but one of the things that the physio found was like he's this swimmer wasn't uh wasn't kicking at all and everything was just coming from from basically above the or from the shoulders upwards so there was yep. very little hip rotation there was no connection through the through the hips and through the torso and um so one of the things he got him to do was just to start doing uh, some kicking within his training sessions and mm-hmm. uh, and over the course of a couple of weeks it took a lot of the the pain out of the shoulder because he wasn't it wasn't origin everything wasn't originating from the shoulders it, it was much more connected and he the thing he mentioned there was you know if something down the chain is hurting you usually want to look at something um, 
close you know closer in to where it all starts and um and i think that's a at least for you know for me when i'm analyzing strokes like oh that's an interesting way to approach it and a good way to approach it because uh if someone's you know if let's maybe someone's coming under the body it could be that their their posture and through their hips and through their core maybe there's something going on there that they need to fix in order to fix that thing down the chain yeah very much so um it is the case. I mean, shoulder is probably one of the more prevalent injuries um, in swimming. And often, even at the highest level, um, the athletes under fatigue all resort to um, wanting to stroke harder or feeling greater pressure in the hand, but being in a very compromised position under fatigue. And that's generally when the shoulders start getting overloaded and um, little niggles start popping up. And then, you know, obviously go into, you know, the deep doldrums of, of injury and I'll lay it off for a while. So um, I can often you know um, pick um, inklings of that happening with a lot of um, you know freestyle swimmers in particular and um, I always try and go to um, the kick as well and the benefit of the kick in absolute you know um, improving stroke length um, so the kick has you know compounding factor factor to increasing stroke length it's not necessarily over kicking but a consistency in the kick mm. and then bringing in the consistency of the kick to the timing of the stroke is is crucial. So whether it's a two beat, a four beat, or a six beat kick, it needs to be timed in with the actual stroke to get the outcome or the benefit of the kick itself. Um, so if we consider um, the kick in isolation, and we do kick sets just for the kickboard or head down with a snorkel, um, and you know you get your um, your top performer in the kick set comes out right, and we all know who that is. Then um, we go to a pull set um, with pull boy and bands um, with paddles, and you know the guys go down. We probably, you know, get to know who the best puller is in the squad. But very seldom in the squads I've worked with at uh, sub elite, even to elite level, um, are those two individuals the best kicker, or the guy that won the kick set and the guy that won the stroke set? Are they the best swimmer? Um, more often, potentially, the best stroker is the best swimmer. Um, but very seldom are they the best swimmer. It's the one that's more or less average or just above average in both kick and pull that generally is the guy that is the best swimmer. And ultimately then the kick is only um, of, well, the kick is of greater worth tied in with stroke, that makes sense. Mm. So the propulsion we get from the kick is only, is compounded when it's actually um, tied into timing of the actual stroke. So what you mentioned there about you know, um, your physio friend and, you know, um, with an athlete with a shoulder injury and all that type of thing, going back down to kick and just understanding the concept of the kick. We see that at the highest level too. Um, a lot of athletes are rendered out for a period of time and they want, they need to get back in the water and we need them in the water as soon as possible um, because it is just such an unnatural environment. So a lot of the coaches just resort to kick and um, often with a lot of them who were average kickers to start off with become really good kickers. And the moment they turn the stroke on, all of a sudden you just see them swimming in a totally different way. And it just seems, it's well, it's often much better than they were um, to start off with. And is there, uh, is there certain uh, drills or or ways you try and get those swimmers to um, to feel in order to help them connect up the timing of their their kick and the rest of their stroke. Is there a couple of goes to that you have go tos that you have? Yeah, there is. Um, there's actually one that I do um, quite regularly, and um, it's actually it's very very difficult to um, to work out. Um, and I even have top level swimmers, um, you know, 
guys would be making finals at a world championships in freestyle struggle with this one. But I feel if you can master this at any level, I feel you've, you, you're winning or you're definitely on the right track. Um, and this is when you could potentially, you know, um, use yourself or, you know, share with the guys out there. But the whole understanding of timing. Now we have different rhythms or rates that we want to swim at, and we all kind of have more or less of a, an idealistic rating that we conform to. So subconsciously, if we're just swimming nicely in the water, we generally have a certain um, rate that we conform to. So let's consider that rate as your kind of average, your your middle ground, right? Now, um, if we develop um, a kick, and let's say we keep, keep the kick um, a, a four-beat kick, so um, four, four beats of the kick within one stroke cycle. So from right-hand entry in to right-hand entry in, um, they're four kicks. Now, we keep the four-beat kick going consistently. Now, um, I like the athletes shifting from a lower rating to what their norm was, from a lower rating through to the, the first third of the pool, and then shifting to their middle ground rating, and then shifting to a slightly higher rating. And for you as the coach or you know, someone on the on the side of the pool deck looking in, you need to see those very definite um, gear shifts over the three ratings. So kick stays exactly the same, but the rating changes um, over, you know, three-thirds of, of the pool. Um, and then what you do is um, once you get to the opposite side, say in a 50-meter pool, then you try and aim to keep your stroke rate at that middle ground right? Keep your stroke rate at that middle ground and then you start altering your kick around your actual stroke rate. And this is where it gets really tough. Because <laughs> ultimately, if we think about running even, if we're running on the spot, um, the faster we move our arms, the faster we move our legs, right? Um, in swimming, it doesn't necessarily need to work that way. So the moment we rate up, we have this tendency to want to kick more and often overkick. And that becomes a very reactive, inefficient um, type stroke. Mm. So Overcoming this one is probably the biggest challenge for most, but generally comes with the best outcome. If we can adjust kick tempo around consistent stroke rate. So again, go through your three gears, but the kick changes from a two beat to a four beat to a six beat kick um, and your rating stays exactly the same. And that's within that last 50, were you saying? Or you'd go through, say, three 50s where the first one would be a two beat, then a four beat, and then a six beat? No, so just with through the 50, yeah. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so. Yeah, so through the 50, you would go through, yeah, um, three segments of the 50, break it into three segments, um, and literally to 15 meters, so don't do any underwater, but through 15, through 30, then to um, 45, that you would, um, through the fifth, well, to the 15, you'd be doing, um, you know, Rating at your lower rate, keeping the kick consistent. Then from 15 to 30, you'd be at your middle ground um, rate, keeping the kick consistent. Then from 30 to 45 or to the end of the pool, you'd be a higher rate, keeping your kick consistent. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, rest at the other end of the pool, push off, um, then keeping your, try and get up and get your stroke at your normal, at your, at your middle ground to start off with, um, and don't even kick. And then start bringing a two beat kick through the 15 and 15 to 30, um, increase the kick beat to like four kicks. Um, stroke stays exactly the same. And then um, through the 30 um, into the wall, you'd probably pick the kick up to around a six beat kick, um, but the stroke rate stays exactly the same. And the person on the side of the pool, if you start switching it up and you start getting good at this, 
um, the co- or the coach or the, your fellow athlete or peer should be looking into the pool and saying you adjusted stroke on that one and you adjusted kick on that one. Um, and if you get to that and it's very defined, um, then I think you've you've come a long way. Oh, that's good. I became I was becoming a lot more aware of this probably oh, probably a year and a half ago when I started doing uh, I did some filming with a swimmer up in Queensland, Andrew Spore. He was a turn yeah. freestyler and he yeah, yeah. used uh, he was very good with a, a four beat kick and mm-hmm. for and I was sort of looking at that and he spoke a bit about it and then I started to sort of look a little bit deeper into to that and started to play around with it myself and I've found over over the course of that 18 months I've gotten a lot better at being able to shift gears from you know your two beat four beat six beat and especially yeah. especially for distance swimming I've found or like you know anything 200 meters or more really but particularly distance swimming being able to control your effort and output and be a lot more efficient by choosing a, a two or a four beat for those longer swims it's uh it really gives you a lot of um we can save a lot of effort and energy but it really helps yep. least me helps me control my uh my speed very well because you know with the with the timing of that that kick you can just really settle into a good rhythm and that's what i find can can sort of set it like the, the consistent breathing pattern and a good kick um will is is at the basis of a, a good rhythm there and um Sure. Yeah, and it's something that I'd, I'd never, I hadn't really ever considered much before. Um, and having mm-hmm. swum since I was like four years of age, and, and only just figuring it out now. And I've been coaching for that long. It's like, well, I can see how <laughs> some of those guys at the very top have made not have, you know, sort of be been able to do it straight away because it's, um, you know, it's, it's just one of those, just one of those extra things that um, that I don't think a lot of people get taught early on. Oh, for sure, definitely. And um, timing's key in all strokes, um, and just mm-hmm. how you know propulsive means from the kick and the stroke work together um, is crucial. Um, and ultimately, if you talk about you know um, efficiency in swimming, that timing goes a very, very long way. And often, if we come up to like an over rotation in a freestyle for breathing, over rotate into the breathing side, um, often that throws the timing out. And as we fatigue, we breathe for longer. Um, and then all of a sudden we just become so inefficient because we're rotating so much more to the one side and through our core are unable to kind of keep our hips up, hips start dropping, that all of a sudden we start working against ourselves and the timing just goes out of whack. Um, even at the highest level often, um, if you see guys in maybe a 200 freestyle, 400 freestyle, um, you'd see that one guy, he'd be going out quite strong and, you know, and he might be leading the race, let's say, um, and then he, he senses through the middle portion of the race or to the back end of the race, people are starting to kind of, you know, come up on him and he can feel that he's losing ground. And then he reacts. And once they react, they often lose the timing of their stroke. Mm. And all of a sudden you just see them go straight out the back. Um, and that's what we try and prevent athletes from doing. Um, especially if you are kind of that athlete that is a little bit stronger out the front end of your race. Generally, the guys are probably going to be coming back at you towards the end. But even sensing that, you just need to kind of, you know, maintain relatively efficient, um, you know, relative efficiency within your stroke, good length, good pressure on the water and all that type of thing. And it all comes down to that rhythm and flow and that connectedness of your stroke. That yeah, makes a difference, yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a big one. And what I've, what I've started to teach at, at clinics is we'll – we do we go through drills and then we do some swim in between in between because we want to connect the purpose of the drill to the swim stroke and 
one of the things that I've found helpful with that is getting them to yeah think a bit think about what you're trying to achieve in the drill it's it, being your thinking brain that's that's where you want to be but when you come to yeah. swimming to the swim portion of that try and go a bit more by feel because as soon as you're overthinking it when you're swimming you're going to lose that yep. timing by 0.05 of a second or 0.1 of a second and as soon as yep. you lose it even by that right. much think it completely yeah disconnects so that's that's mm. when you really want to go more more for that sort of feeling brain and uh and that's when the timing comes in and that rhythm and connection and uh it, it doesn't take much to lose it yeah for sure so i mean um, a great way to kind of go around that um and i like the way you kind of you talk about your thinking your feeling brain you kind of speak if we consider a, a particular drill um and we isolate that drill to you know one particular thing that we're trying to improve um for the athlete then um it could be quite contrasting or quite far removed from the stroke itself, right? But we need to think about what that drill is trying to um, achieve, right? And that's where we're very much in that thinking space um, in your example. Um, and we need to do it, um, you know, the right way and um, appropriately to, you know, the intention. And the drills are just done to kind of get that 400, 400 drill out of the way, mm. um, drill and swim type of thing in a warm-up and to me drills are probably the most important part of the actual warm-up because that's what sets us up and you know if we think of like it, priming a stove when we're camping and we don't need to do that these days but priming a stove and camping you're ultimately getting that stove ready to, to burn and and that's how I feel kind of drills serve that purpose so drills could change from one day to the next with a group of athletes but ultimately they are there to kind of prime us to get the job done when the main set hits um, and the way it would look through drills there, they could be very isolated and very kind of, you know, left of center, but we need to understand what they're trying to achieve. We're in that thinking space. And then we progressively um, move that drill into what makes better sense and how it could potentially tie into swimming. And then we get into, you know, levels where it actually starts tying into swimming. And then all of a sudden it's in our stroke. And then we start feeling it within our stroke. And that's how we generally float around progressive means within a skill acquisition type um, space. Oh, it's good. It's good to hear you say that because that that's what we've or that what I've tried to to do and uh, do that with the swimmers who come to our clinics is that when they leave, the way we like them to incorporate it into their training is as part of the warm up every session if they can, uh, otherwise yeah. just as often as they can. Do some drills that are specific to those things that you want to work on. Do them in the warm up. Get a feel for those things that you want to change in your stroke, and then just go about your main set and your session and obviously keep that in the back of your mind but you set it up you set up the feel for it with the with the drills and uh and doing that regularly and consistently is how you'll change that habit and acquire that skill it's not about doing one session focused on technique once every two or three weeks because it's not going to change anything there it's about that consistency for sure in this environment, as I say, as an as a natural environment as it is in the water, we need to do it consistently in order for to get the carryover for sure. Mm. Yeah, and uh, is yeah. before we, uh, I know you've got to go soon. Is there is there anything that uh, that you feel that like we ha we haven't uh, talked about that could be helpful for some, say, a, a triathlete or an, an open water swimmer out there? who uh, might be stuck in a, a bit of a plateau and they just want to get faster or they're, they're frustrated with their swimming. Is there some, uh, some advice that you have for someone out there who's, who wants to get better but they feel a little bit stuck? 
Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I come from a bit of a triathlon background myself. Um, was you know an age group swimmer, um, school and all that, and got into triathlon as well. And was relatively competitive. Um, well, mostly off road triathlon. So yeah, I've I've been in that position before and being stuck in a rut. Um, especially on the swimming front, um, and ultimately with triathletes, I feel um, the struggle, the biggest struggle with triathletes, is often the case of while you're doing one thing, you're thinking about the other two disciplines. <laughs> um, and that was always my issue. Is um, you know I always liked dealing with a lot of information, so I never really got to grips with one particular thing. Or you know whether when I was doing swimming, I was thinking about the bike and the run, um, but I was never really thinking about swimming. And um, we really need to. I mean, in the triathlon space get our heads around, um, you know, actually dealing with the sport that we're currently doing, right, and really kind of, you know, getting our teeth into it while we're doing it. Um, and that, to me, would probably be some advice I'd give to triathletes, just having been in that space before, because that's something I feel, you know, I could have done better for sure. Um, and then, yeah, open water swimmers, um, it just generally is the case. I mean, monotony is generally where it's at with them, and heaps and heaps of, um, you know, um, laps up and down the pool or you know laps around open water whatever it is um, and you know what I'd say here could probably speak to, to anyone but just trying to think of your stroke in a slightly different way or um, you know breaking your stroke or breaking your um, your I'm going to say your set breaking into proportions or you know bite-sized portions and having a different focus on each on each of those um, and you know, if we think about like a 1500 meter in a in a um, in Olympic event, um, those athletes, the way they think about it is, some of them actually think about it in in 500 meter portions, um, others think about it in 300 meter portions. But ultimately, when we do analysis on those races, I can see a characteristic trait for each swimmer as to what they're trying to focus on. And sometimes it might be every second turn, and sometimes it might be every third 50. Um, that they focus on something different. You know, the rate might change every third 50. Their turn might be improved every second turn. Um, and Or they might be trying to even split the the third and the fourth, um, you know, um, 200, something like that. It's just there always seems to be a strategy around that. And um, with open water in particular, we, you know, they like getting out there and getting into rhythm and getting a flow as well. But ultimately, to start thinking around not necessarily a pacing strategy, but just different, um, you know, a thinking strategy or cueing strategy. Let that, let, Louis probably phrase it in that way. That if we go out there, we want to feel kind of good, easy, efficient flow in the way we're doing it. And obviously, we're not fatigued to start off with. Um, so we can find that kind of easy connectedness and that flow and not trying to overdo it out front. And then the moment fatigue starts setting in, it might onset slightly earlier with some, might onset slightly later with others. Then we just need to have a cueing mechanism as to what that might be, and often in open water that might relate to the to the to the breathing pattern. Um, how are we breathing? Is the timing of our breath impeding you know elements of our stroke? And often it does. And if I could wish anything upon any swimmer in this world, it would be that we didn't have to breathe, because breathing throws in this throws the spanner in the works um, with regards to swimming often, mm. and. Dealing at my level, I've only seen very, very few athletes breathe properly, um, you know, in a freestyle space. Um, so that cue could be potentially around kind of timing of the breath and what that looks like. Um, then moving on from there, it might be you know timing of the kick in relation to the stroke. And 
you know, challenge all athletes, you know, doing longer distances to try and find out what that particular point is that they know whether the timing's on or not, whether it's, you know, entry of the right hand stroke and a kick down on the on the on the left leg. Um, there needs to be a critical point that you feel if you if you nail that, you feel your timing's on. Um, so that might be something you could think about, that middle portion to kind of back end of your race. And then really towards the back end of a race, you know, whether it's 10K, a 5K or a 3K or a 1500, um, you know, to not feel like you need to shift it up a gear and all of a sudden swim a very different type of stroke. Um, that, that gear adjustment could be quite progressive. Um, and you need to maintain relative efficiency kind of doing that. And often I feel if they try and shift gears, they react, and that's where we start to get in that disconnectedness that we talk, spoke about a little earlier. Um, yeah, does that make sense? Or yeah, I think I think that's direction? great, especially. Uh, so I mean, the, the first thing is being present when you when you are in the water, and as best mm-hmm. you can, trying to focus on the thing that you're you're doing. And it's it's very easy to get get distracted and think about what you've got coming up, or just wanting to yeah. get through the through the session. And with particularly with uh, I've spoken about this before, but particularly with swim watches where people are always always on them, starting, stopping, it's just it's a massive distraction from your your technique. And I think so many yep. people could improve so much faster if they just left the watch in their swim bag and uh, and didn't use it while they were swimming because you are going to get a lot more benefit from actually being present and and feeling the water and and feeling what your stroke is doing and feeling what what. Um, how much effort you're putting in for the pace that you're, you're getting and get that time just from the 60 second clock you'll get so much more out of that than by uploading it to Strava and, and seeing that over the course of a year your, your pace has improved that way but no I think leave that in your, in your gear bag it's uh, it doesn't help you most of the time yeah I couldn't agree more when I was running my fastest um, I used to leave my um, my heart rate monitor at home yeah. that's when I used to run my fastest yeah, that, that's right. Because you're just too worried about. Oh, geez, my heart, my heart rate's up uh, this high, and um, yeah, exactly. You start regulating yourself around that, or if it's not looking good, you 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 know you almost start subduing yourself. So it's or trying out to do yourself, and it is a crazy, creates a barrier. They're there for good reason, I would say, and and you know a lot of these smart devices nowadays give us so much information. It's it's awesome. Um, but yeah, we get too caught up in it, and triathletes having you know. Um, you know, a space that I've been in um, for quite a period of time, um, we get too caught up in that space. Um, and the more gimmicks, the better. And ultimately, then it's just they become, you know, a huge impedance to overall performance at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah couldn't agree more. Well, uh, Ryan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And um, I've really enjoyed chatting to you. And I'm, I'm sure that um, those people listening have got a lot out of it as well. So thank you very much. And for anyone who wants to uh, maybe get in touch with you, what's the best way? Um, generally on um, phone call, no problem. Um, otherwise, um, on email, um, that's probably the easiest, I would say. Um, I'm always open for kind of, you know, sharing ideas and all that type of thing. Um, ultimately, to me, you know, regardless of what level of athlete you are, um, I'd always love people super exceeding their own expectations. Um, and that's ultimately what I'm here for. Um, at the highest level, it's it's really tricky. We look for marginal gains. Um, it's not one percenters it's 0.01 percenters that we generally looking for and we you know um celebrate those um but at a lower level there definitely are different ways of thinking about things that could um create an outcome and that 
obviously appreciate the work you do as well. And just seeing some of the time drops guys have had, um, you know, in their triathlon and open water swims, um, you know, the work you're doing clearly is kind of having an impact. Um, and, you know, I'm all in, in that regard. So people are kind of wanting to come to me with, with questions, thoughts, or ideas, you know, I welcome them all. Um, and yeah, um, phone call or email is probably the best way. If you enjoyed today's podcast and you're interested in improving your own technique, we have a number of camps coming up in 2020 that if you are an adult, you swim in any capacity, whether it's for fitness, whether you're doing pool swimming, competitive swimming, or triathlon or open water swimming, we have a number of camps coming up in Thailand, Hawaii, and Noosa, which is in Queensland, Australia. So if you go to our website at effortlesswimming.com, you'll see the details of each of those camps. And what we do at those camps is each day, or at the very start of the, the camps, we do underwater filming and analysis with you, with you. And we look at the two to three aspects of your stroke that are worth working on and improving. Those things that will give you the biggest benefit over the course of three to six months. And then throughout the camp, every single day, we work with you very closely one-on-one -on -one, where we help you improve your technique and make those changes over the course of the camp. And then you leave the camp, not only having had a great time, had a lot of fun, but you will have improved your technique. Your times will more than likely have come down over the course of the five or seven days. And you'll have an action plan. You know exactly what you need to do. And you will have started that process to find yourself swing faster three to six months down the track. And so if that sounds like something that you would enjoy, having a swimming holiday and a swimming camp in Hawaii, Thailand, or Noosa, then check out the website at effortlessswimming.com. I run all of those camps and we also have two to three other coaches on each of the camps as well. So it's not just me that you work with, but a number of other coaches. Other coaches we have on board are ones like Gary Hurring, who's former Olympic swimmer and Olympic coach from New Zealand, professional triathlete, Mitchell Kibbe, we have uh, Phil Rush, who has the fastest two- and three-way crossing of the English Channel. We have Eni Jones, who you've probably heard on this podcast a number of times. So there's a wide range of other coaches who do uh, attend the clinics and coach with me and who you'll be working with on those camps. So hope to see you at one of them in 2020. Um, most of them are at least half full, uh, and some of them are already sold out. So just make sure you do book that early if you are interested. So thanks very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and I'll see you on another episode of the Effortless Swimming Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.